If you knew with 100% certainty that next week will be the last week of your life, would that impact your personal relationships? Would it change how you treat those around you? I remember an old preacher joke, and I don't know if they call it an old preacher joke because the joke is older, the preachers who use it are old. But it, but it was a story about a lady who went to the doctor, and the doctor, she wasn't feeling well, she was fatigued, run down, uh, she didn't have any energy, and so the doctor ran a battery of tests, and he said, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry to inform you, but you have rabies. And her immediate response was to reach into her purse, pull out a pad and a pen, and start writing furiously. The doctor was perplexed by her response and, and asked the woman, what are you doing? I haven't even told you how we're going to cure it yet. She said, oh, I'm making a list of all of the people I'm going to bite. Is that how you would respond <laughs> to those around you? Would you want to inflict as much harm on them as they have inflicted upon you? Would you let your verbal vengeance loose, thinking that they're not going to be able to retaliate because in a week you won't be here? Or would you have more compassion on them, recognizing that final words and final deeds are lasting words and lasting deeds, and your heart would tell you, I want to leave a good godly example because that is the last thing they will get from me. How would you respond? Or, or what about your immediate family? Would the petty family squabbles that for so long irritated you suddenly be irrelevant to you? What would you want those closest to you to remember most about you? Sobering questions, to be sure, but questions extremely relevant to our study in 1 Peter. We pick up where we left off in our last session, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are called to live every moment of every day as if that were the moment and that were the day that our Lord is going to return. Now keep in mind, Peter is writing to suffering saints who are experiencing incredible, horrific persecution as a result of their stand with Christ and for Christ. 
They believed they were living in the last days. And the temptation to lash out at those who were persecuting them was very, very real. Peter, however, is reminding them that final words and final deeds are lasting words and lasting deeds. So choose your words and choose your actions very, very carefully. Hone in on that phrase that begins verse 7. The end of all things is near. Peter was telling his hearers, and and even more relevant for us living in this age and in this generation, that the clock on God's timeline is rapidly approaching midnight. So why are we still here, and how are we to act and respond? And and many of us struggle with this in in the midst of, of pain and persecution. God has saved me. Eternity is before me. So why am I still here suffering? Why doesn't God, once we're saved, just snatch us up to be with him? Well, we forget that God does not leave us here for our sakes. He leaves us here for the sake of those around us. In fact, in 2 Peter The blessed apostle tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. God, why are you delaying? Why don't you do something? Here's the answer to that question. But is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter tells us, he's telling these first century saints in the midst of their suffering, and he tells us in our generation today, we are not here for our sake. We are here for the sake of those around us, that we might be a light in the darkness, that we might be salt holding off the decay that we see all around us. And we say, why is it taking so long? Well, God doesn't operate on our timetable. God operates on God's timetable. God's timetable is very, very different from our timetable. In fact, again, Peter tells us in that second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. God's timing is not our timing. A man once asked God, how much is a million years to you? And God said, just a minute. The man responded with a second question, how much is a million dollars to you? And God said, just a penny. And the guy said, God, can I have just a penny? And God answered, just a minute. God's time is not our time. The end of all things, Peter says, is near. It means it is before you. It is right in front of your face. It is before your very eyes. 
the end, the completion, the termination, the culmination of everything is right in front of you. And that phrase is both a word of warning and a word of warmth. What has Peter been discussing in the previous verses? In our last session, we covered verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. And we found these words, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even, though, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Peter is reminding them and reminding us there's a payday someday and judgment is coming. There is rapidly coming a day. In fact, that day is near in front of you before your very eyes when God will balance the scales of justice. And some of these people who have not embraced Christ, those who were persecuting these suffering saints would be on the wrong side of the scales. There was judgment coming, coming, and that moment in time when the scales of justice will be balanced and lost men and women will be on the wrong side of the scales, Peter says, you are here to do something about that. You are here to help them move from one to the other before it is too late. The end of all things is near. For the lost that's a word of warning. To those who are saved, it is a call to work. People are lost, dying, and bound for an eternal hell. They do not know the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility to share that hope with them, not hoard it to ourselves because we are hurt by how they have treated us. We are to share the hope that is within us. The Apostle Paul warned us of that horror that's coming upon those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ when he writes in 2 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 7, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. That sounds good. And for us it is. But Paul did not stop there. He goes on to talk about those who have not received Jesus Christ. These, those who are away from Christ, those who have rebelled against Christ, those who would be considered the individuals who are bringing about the persecution upon these suffering saints to whom Peter is addressing, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. The world desperately needs us, because that is the future that awaits them if we do not share with them the love of Jesus Christ. And that is why in word and deed, we must, must, must live every moment of every day as if that were the moment and that was the day that Jesus was returning. Peter is telling them and he's telling us, 
we do not have the luxury of playing church. Time is short. Be the church. And then Peter moves to list three characteristics, three powerful characteristics of the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who takes their faith seriously and their commission to share that faith with those around them. He continues there in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, on the basis of this, because of this, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The first characteristic of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who takes their faith seriously and accepts their commission to share that faith with those around them is to be of sound judgment. The Greek phrase literally means to be in right mind. In other words, be self-controlled. Don't be led by your anger. Don't be led by your desire to get even or to see justice Come to those who have mistreated you. Instead, be of sound judgment. Be driven, be controlled by the Holy Spirit to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around you. Be controlled in your character and your conduct so that when people see you, they see Jesus. Be of sound judgment and of sober spirit. It means be serious, be alert, be on watch, always. Keep your spiritual antenna raised for anything that would tear you away from God or anything that would deter you from being used by God to reach the world around you. <coughs> he says you are to be of sound judgment. You are to be sober in spirit. And then he goes on to say why we need to be of sound judgment and why we need to be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That we are to be of sound judgment and we are to be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. That means that sound judgment and sober spirit must be the emphasis, the intention, the motivation in our prayer. In other words, Peter is saying, let those things be the focus of your prayer life. We ought to be praying, God, keep me focused on you and keep me on high alert for opportunities to be used by you. And then he goes on in verse three to mention the third, I mean, uh, verse eight, to mention the third characteristic, above all. That means as a top priority, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, most of us would read this particular verse on the surface level and say, oh, that's easy to do. He's telling us that we're to love people in the church to which I would say, that sounds easy, but it is not easy at all. Those of you who have spent any time in the family of faith know it is sometimes extremely difficult to passionately love those in the family of faith. Now, I must confess to you in this session, I have been hurt far more and far deeper 
by people in the church than by people outside the church. In fact, one of my heroes, Dr. W.A. Criswell, said, if I ever fall in sin, don't put me in front of church people with their hypocritical attitude and their self-righteous spirit. Put me in front of the sinners who understand what it's like to hurt. We seem to be the only army on planet Earth with a powerful propensity for killing our own wounded. Let me tell you deeply and profoundly in regard to this, what the Bible is saying, what Peter is telling us. Don't do that. <laughs> That's what Peter is saying. Don't do that. We are to be compassionate toward one another, not critical of one another. We, we must follow the biblical principle of Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, brethren, if anyone is overtaken in a fault, and it's important that we understand the wording there, it's not that you look, you take a, a peek through the uh, flap of the tent and you see them doing something they shouldn't be doing. It's overtaken in a fault is what the Greek word is. In other words, they're trying to live their life, but somehow, some way they trip or fall or they're trapped or caught by something in a moment of weakness. If anyone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We are to be compassionate. We are to be passionate. We are to be loving, we are to be humble, we are to be forgiving, because there but by the grace of God go every one of us. Peter continues to tell us in that particular passage, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, and then we get the phrase, because love covers a multitude of sins. Does that mean that we're to ignore sin? No. Does that mean that we're to cover over sin? No. But it does mean that we are quick to forgive. Love covers a multitude of sins and that love for our fellow man, love for the brethren, moves us to quickly forgive and move on. Now here's a a very simple practical principle in regard to the passage before us. You cannot control how other people treat you, but you can control how you treat other people. We continue in verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift Employ it in the survey, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he qualifies that or even more in verses 11. We talked about several gifts here. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. That's one who has a spiritual gift of, of preaching, teaching, proclamation, prophecy, divine truth. Whoever serves, that's a spiritual gift of service. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Why do we do those things? 
so that in all things God may be glorified. See, it's not about us. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Each of us has been uniquely gifted by God. But we have not been gifted by God for our benefit. We have been gifted by a holy God for the benefit of those around us. Let me make it very, very simple and very, very clear. When it comes to spiritual gifts, it is not about you. It is all about those around you. It is not about you. It is about using your gift to the benefit of those around you so that God will be glorified. You, me, we are stewards of a great gift. And God has given it to us that we might give it away. And here's the exciting part. The more we give our gift away, the more it seems to be returned to us. It is time for us to stop playing church and start being the church because the end of all things is nearer than it has ever been before. So my friend, go be the church. Use what you have been given to glorify God and draw others to him. Our time is short. Our mission is clear and souls are at stake. So let's be the church. On behalf of Jacob Kritzman, Larry Kelly, and the rest of our Word Power team, let me thank you for joining us today. It is our passionate purpose to go deeper and stay longer in God's Word so that you might grow stronger and stand taller for your faith. That is why we exist. That is why this ministry exists. And we're glad you have joined us. If we've been an encouragement to you, please reach out to us. You can reach us at wordpowermm at gmx.com. Wordpowermm at gmx.com. Or you can simply put a comment in whether you're watching YouTube, Instagram, or on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you to know how we have been an encouragement to you. Before uh, we leave, let me remind you the truth of God's word. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Thanks for joining us.